Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Hello, I'm Sibilia Kolici, the Executive Director of Vaccines Europe, and welcome to FPR's 19th Conversation podcast. This is part of a series where we speak with leading experts in the health sector about the most pressing issues and brightest ideas in EU health policy. In the context of the European Commission Health Union package, we recently recorded two other podcasts on the ECDC and EMA. And today we are discussing the proposals for a regulation on serious cross-border threats to health. This is an issue of particular interest for vaccines-preventable diseases because viruses have no borders. So this is actually why I'm here to moderate this timely discussion today. Just a small piece of context before I do introduce our speakers. For those who might not know, on 11 November 2020, the European Commission announced its health union package as a response to the COVID-19 crisis. This included three files. One on the ECDC's revised mandate, one on the EMAS revised mandate, and one which is slightly more mysterious on serious cross-border threats to health. And this is not to be decorrelated to the recently unveiled health emergency response authorities by the European Commission. So whereas the first two on ECDC and EMA are very obvious in terms of their scope, and on these specific ones, you can actually check out two of our recent podcasts deep diving on this. The third is less clear. So today we are going to explore what is the proposals on serious cross-border threats to health? Why does it matter? Where is where we are with regards to the legislative process? And how it could help to prevent the next public health crisis in Europe? I would like now to introduce to our two protagonists to discuss the future of the European Health Union and cross-border health threats to health today. I've got two experts on the topic. First, I would like to introduce MEP Sarah Serdas, member of the Envy Committee and shadow reporter of the Serious Cross-Border Threats to Health file. She holds a master's degree in medicines, a master's degree in public health, and is currently a doctoral student in public health sciences. She is a member on the Committee on the Environment, Public Health, and Food Safety. Hello, MEP Serdas. Hello, good morning. Is it okay for me to call you Sarah or do you prefer Amy Pisserdas along the internet? No, I, I prefer actually Sarah. Will do, thank you. And our second speaker is Maya Novota, Director of Active Citizenship Network. He holds a graduate degree in political science and two postgraduate degrees in European public relations and corporate social responsibility. Mariano is the director of Active Citizenship Network representing the NGO towards the EU institutions. Hello, Mr. Botta. Or shall I call you Mariano? Good morning, Mariano, of course. Uh, greetings from Rome. Good morning, Member of the Parliament, Sara Serdas. Good morning. So maybe to start, what I would like to do with both of you is perhaps 
the best way is to introduce actually what are the key proposals within the serious cross-border threats to health file. So maybe I can turn to you, Sarah, if you can give us a bit of insight of what is this all about. Yes. Uh, so this is uh, actually part of the European Health Union package response at the first stage, the Commission, based on the demands by the European Parliament. So our main goal is to strengthen and increase preparedness and response for health threats across the Union, because we have a duality when it regards to health policy here at the European Union. We have that provision of healthcare is a national competence. However, the protection of public health is a shared competence between member states, the countries, and EU. And this is where it all goes. So we have three main files, um, a fourth that already is ongoing, which is EU for Health program. So we have this a serious cross-border health threats proposal, which is undergoing the normal legislative process. We have a new regulation to review the mandate of the European Medicines Agency that has already been agreed upon on trilogues. They ended the negotiations and hopefully they will be adopted by the Parliament and by the Council. And we also have the review mandate for the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. So these three texts are guided by the serious cross-border health threats file. And we aim to have uh, more preparedness and a more comprehensive response to any health threats. And that goes since the availability of medicines, having better alerts and response systems within the EU, better preparedness plans at the national level, meaning these national plans should be audited and also understand how we can work together at the European Union level to have a more convergent response to any ongoing future epidemics and or pandemics. This is a very short summary of the proposals. In that regard, how do you think this proposal actually can help Basically, when it comes to vaccines, we have the joint procurement procedures for medical countermeasures that will allow us to have an increased accessibility to certain medical products that can be of need when we are in crisis. And also, I would say how it relates to vaccination is that we're going to increase uh, surveillance and monitoring of the network of the CDC, and we will develop new disease-specific surveillance standards. We already have a good surveillance system, but we aim to increase it. Then we have the availability and the opportunity to increase funding for research and innovation when facing a new public health emergency. And at the moment, also the need to share whatever we work for in the joint procurement activities and share it across the EU. And I'll give you an example, which is this COVID-19 vaccine that has been a name from the joint procurement of the EU, this new process, which aims to allow accessibility to COVID-19 effective and safe vaccines to EU citizens and also for donations for third countries. And this was a high success story. And uh, I can tell you the example from my own 
country, Portugal, where we have one of the highest vaccination coverage rates in the EU. And that would not be possible if we would have gone to the market alone and tried to negotiate alone with the industry. So it's a success story from this joint procurement. And this is something that we try to legislate and to have it for other scenarios as well. The um, COVID-19 vaccination has been uh, particularly successful in terms of equity and access indeed. And uh, and Portugal they definitely uh, walk the talk in what can be achieved in such a short period. With regards to the contribution of the different stakeholders, and maybe I will turn to you, uh, Mariano, how do you see actually the role of the civil society uh, happening in the context of a pandemic preparedness And what works well? What are the lessons learned from COVID-19 experience? And what could be done better in future pandemic preparedness in that regard? If it's possible, I just want to come back on the proposal for cross-border health treats that was published for an open consultation at the beginning of this year, January, February, if you remember, some months after the State of Union speech of Ursula von der Leyen that underlined at the first point the, the need to work towards a European Health Union. 62 pages in which it was established or identified the need to strengthen the legal framework to provide more role, responsibility, resources to European institutions to better address the cross border health treats. And so, from this perspective, it was a Fine, we have, um, as well to the public consultation, supported this global framework from one end. From other end, from my standing point, citizens' organization, the proposal revealed a serious gap, not justify what the lesson that we should have learned from the pandemic, because in 62 pages, we didn't identify any role of the civil society organization that should be engaged by the institution in support of the local communities and in support of the institution itself. So in the proposal for cross-border health treats, we didn't identify any role. And this is a paradox because the pandemic identified how not only the vaccine is a key, but also the sense of responsibility is crucial to address, to overcome the pandemic. So This was unfortunately something that we have underlined in front of the, the European institutions, also to take in consideration what already is in place and we can take in consideration for some example. In the proposal is also identify a committee to better identify the preparedness and the, to take some decision in terms of uh, respond promptly to the new global treats. Can we, for instance, take in consideration the working party that is already established within European Medicine Agency, in which there is also a consultative body composed by patient advocacy group and consumer association? Can we identify also some representative, civic representative involved in this kind of committee, like also in the Italian experience for the scientific committee for the post-market surveillance of COVID-19 vaccine in Italy it was established that a representative of civil society was uh, involved in this committee by the National uh, Drug Agency. So I think that we can um, try to identify some uh, way to better 
involved also the so-called intermediate bodies, civil society organization, patient advocacy group, the ones that are already engaged in active way for vaccine coverage and in the vaccination policy. Thank you. And um, Sarah, you mentioned the uh, early warning response system. Could you please provide a little bit more information on what this is aiming out in simple terms and what would be the benefit for vaccines response if the EU is given the capacity to declare the pandemic? So the early warning response system is already a system ongoing and used by the ECDC together with the different member states. However, we must show and work for It's interoperability with national systems. So this system, what we aim is to capture, and uh, this can also be done together with pandemic intelligence, to capture any future threat that there is at an early time, as the system states. And, of course, through public health experts, analyze and make an assessment. Is this a threat for a contiguous area or is this something that can hit the whole union or even the globe, meaning has a pandemic potential? And with this, you can actually work and have early action in order to prepare and respond adequately to the different threats there is. How does this work with the vaccines? If you have, for instance, for known uh, vaccines, not talking now about new future vaccines, if you have um, a ping for a potential measles outbreak, then you can deploy vaccines for that region in order to better have accessibility to one of the measures that can control a given epidemic outbreak. So this is very, in simplistic terms, how it works. You have a sign of potential threat for human health. You act on it and you act on it based on the European Union's capacity to have a solution for that threat, a treatment or a vaccine, something that helps you control. And this is part of the response part of the system and how we aim for this EWRS system to be better harmonized across the different member states. And this is a competence from the ECDC, which is the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. And this would be extremely useful indeed as a pandemic response. In terms of lessons learned from the pandemic, we also saw the benefits actually related to the monitoring of COVID-19 on a regular basis. I mean, we've seen actually weekly uh, news from the CDC with regards to the evolution of the infections, the pandemic, and also with regards to vaccines coverage. Is it something that we will be able to expect for other diseases in the near future? Uh, yes, and actually it already happens like that. So it already works for vaccine-preventable diseases. Uh, the question here is, can we optimize it? And the answer is yes, obviously. So we can move faster and with better resources. And let me just add something here. How can this be optimized? And this is something we work very hard on the Serious Cross-Border Health Threats file, which is to increase training for public health professionals across the European Union and get better use of the new online tools that were developed during the pandemic. 
meaning that the training, of course, you need to have physical training, but also you can have online training that can be more frequent. And this will allow you to have more experts in the European Union, in each member state, but also in each region. Because as you know, there's countries very vast and there's regions that sometimes are not as accessible as we wish it was. I come from one of those, an outermost region. We are an island in the Atlantic and uh, to have better experts so they can be more equipped to identify these crisis threats and also how can we work together, for instance, when we have a vaccine-preventable disease, to deploy the necessary countermeasures. And this can be vaccination, vaccine the population, but also through better trainings of health professionals, we can reach the population through better health literacy and try to work against the current threat, which is vaccination hesitancy, by educating and sharing the best available evidence for the vaccines that are already deemed safe and efficient for the different types of diseases. Indeed. And uh, Mariano, maybe you can tell us more from the perspective of the civil society. How did you uh, see actually the lessons learned from COVID-19 with regards to monitoring? Active Citizenship Network have a lot of activities related to vaccination of the population. How do you see this in the context of the cross-border health threats file, an opportunity as well for other type of vaccines? Yes, we have started to carry out several initiatives also because it was impossible to accept that during the pandemic, vaccination centers were closed for a while without any kind of information to the citizens. We are uh, closed and come back, uh, but uh, I don't know when. This was not acceptable for the citizens. So we have uh, carried out several initiatives to provide civic information, to use this kind of civic information. And for instance, also to better balance the attention of COVID-19 vaccination with the so-called routine vaccination that at this stage are less, we can say, receive less attention. And we have to balance this kind of both relevant issues. Just to come back to the early warning response system to the other side, let me try to do a parallelism with some other issues that happen at the European level Sometimes we listen that one product is delayed from the internal market because it's dangerous for each one of us. This is a decision taken by a European level by another agency called RAPEX, European Rapid Alert System for Non-Food Dangerous Product. Okay, no one is opposite to this decision. And this is important to also try to communicate to the citizens, not the name of the agency of the tool, but the effect to each one of us. So for uh, cross-border treats already exist several uh, tools, instruments, etc., especially in the consumer issues, because the, the legislation uh, allowed to do so. And our uh, also proposal is to take the experience of this kind of tool mechanism that already exists in also to expand this kind of experience for health treats. The second example is a network of the so-called European Consumer Center Network that was put in place more than 10 years ago to better address cross-border consumer treats for each one of us. 
can we expand this kind of experience or put in place another one, a patient-centered network managed by the local institutions together with patient advocacy group, citizens' organization, can be also the lacking piece between the European institutions and the population in terms to increase health literacy, to identify the global health as a value, but also to identify how can we do in the context of a pandemic, etc. So there are some examples that already are in place at European level that could be taken in consideration when we talk about cross-border health treats. Thank you. This is really uh, insightful huh, to, to leverage what has been uh, actually done in other contexts and could be potentially leveraged uh, in the context of health. Just going back to what you mentioned, Sarah, because you gave a really, really comprehensive introduction with regards to the national competence when we are actually looking at health and more precisely the successful achievement we managed to take through the joint procurement with COVID-19 vaccines. From an industry standpoint, the um, procurement does impact the timely access to medicines and to vaccines specifically. And in normal time, uh, routine vaccines, for instance, are definitely a matter of national competencies. But here we saw that in the context of pandemic, the value of joint procurement in ensuring equity in access is undeniable. This has been, for me, a concrete achievement of the management of this pandemic by the European Commission. Do you think this is actually the answer when we look at vaccines to speed up a pandemic response? Or are there other tools that could be actually considered that would be at our disposal with regards to vaccine procurement? And also, what should be the successful conditions for successful joint procurement in the EU? Those are really, really important uh, topics here that you made. So how do we see this joint procurement process being deployed in the near future for different crises? I believe this is something that needs to be legislated. We want to increase uh, transparency here, first and foremost. It needs to be a transparent process. And in regards to procurement itself, we need to be aware of why are we going for a joint procurement? Is this something that increases equity in accessibility or it will create inequalities? And of course, we don't know which other crisis we are going to face. What we can do now is prepare ourselves based on the lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. Having this in mind, we understand and we know that joint procurement was a success in regards of having accessibility to the needed doses for COVID-19 vaccine at a given time for the European Union and also for our third countries and for our stance also in COVAX. We've been one of the biggest donors, not only with financial aid, but also through donation of vaccination doses. What we must ensure in this process is that what has been lacking at the moment, and we have been very vocal about this, for instance, in one of the last plenary sessions where we asked for better transparency in the process. And this is something that we're working very hard to ensure transparency in the whole process. I mean, at the moment, we still have redacted contracts made uh, by the commission with the industry for COVID-19 vaccines. 
and that is not acceptable. For instance, for a member of the European Parliament, we have been elected by the people to represent them. So it is not quite acceptable for us not to have access to what has been negotiated between Commission and the industry. So to summarize my response, there has been very positive remarks from this joint procurement process. In regards for the future joint procurement process, we need to ensure transparency across the whole process, increase the transparency. And also, and this is something that uh, Mariano has been talking a lot, is how can we include the civil society in this? And uh, I would like to go back on what he stated on the committees, on HERA, for instance, and there's no civil society there. And this is something that has been a discussion point within the European Parliament. And it's something now that we are bringing to the discussions and negotiations with Council and Commission. Because even though the Parliament didn't have a say on HERA, because the Commission stipulated so through Article 1 to 2 from the treaties, we still have had uh, topics in our new proposal for serious cross-border health threats. So this is something that we are working very hard to and are aware that we are only stronger if we work together. And this is something that we need to keep in mind into this whole process, especially when we're dealing with a pandemic, with uh, an almost invisible virus that was so devastating for so many different healthcare systems and this echoed across the different sectors of society and the different countries and regions. Thank you so much. Um, this is important and indeed uh, uh, an inclusive approach with regards to the stakeholders uh, to be involved in pandemic preparedness is critical, whether it is the industry, the civil society, healthcare providers you mentioned as well, and the importance to train them to get them on board in uh, its critical to policies on prevention. Maybe going back to the ECDC, potentially, you mentioned so the ECDC disease-specific surveillance standards. What does it mean really for increasing vaccination against routine diseases and the connection with HERA? How do you see this actually to be connected with the HERA proposals with regards to the responsibilities of the ECDC? So the ECDC has the overview of the vaccination coverage for the different vaccine-preventable diseases across the European Union. And of course, it works with the different international partners, such as WHO, to understand the vaccination coverage across the globe. How can we increase our vaccination coverage? I already stated I come from a country that we don't have vaccine hesitancy problems as other countries might have. And this is due to our cultural response or cultural memory, because more than 40 years ago, we did not have a national healthcare system. So people died from vaccine-preventable diseases. And this is something that was passed on generations. My grandparents know and have seen neighbors dying from measles, from rubella, from other diseases, and um, been hardshipped by, for instance, poliomyelitis, which is no longer in the EU region. So um, we need to have a good monitoring system, but also work on the best available evidence that's out there to increase vaccination coverage. And this is done through better health literacy. 
We have, um, and this was a gain that we had as parliament, that we have a one health approach and a health in all policies approach in the new serious cross-border health threats filed by the European Parliament. And this is something that needs to be very much worked on. How can we work and increase health literacy, meaning equip citizens to take the healthiest options for their own uh, lives across the EU? And this is, of course, it cannot be a top-bottom approach. It needs to be a bottom-up approach. And it needs to include the different stakeholders out there in the field. And here I need to highlight the importance of working with the civil society organizations, because you are the ones mostly in contact with the different citizens, depending on the different specialty work you do. And uh, this is how we can increase vaccination coverage and fight uh, vaccination hesitancy because it's hands in hands with another problem that we are dealing at the moment, which is with the pandemic of disinformation. And that has to be worked at the different age groups. It should not be only a health school program, but it should be all across the different age groups. Of course, using the moments where the citizens have exposure to the health system to better increase their health literacy, but not only. So we need to be very creative here on how we can go and fight with our scientific tools against vaccine hesitancy, because it is unacceptable that in 2021, we have children or young people or even adults dying by vaccine-preventable diseases. That's perfect. And maybe I can turn to you, Mariano, based on uh, the lessons learned as well, because you run actually a, a survey with regards to the COVID-19 vaccines campaign. So what can you tell us about the outcome of this survey and what can be improved for the near future? Then, okay, the, the, the output was that uh, it's uh, necessary to increase communication, also to take in consideration new a uh, new decision for the pandemic, for instance, the involvement of the pharmacist in Italy now is uh, the new of this year, the involvement of these healthcare categories. But uh, let me come back to comment to thank the member of parliament uh, in terms of uh, identifying the, the role of the engagement of the civic society. We have a great opportunity across Europe, thanks to the recovery plan. The recovery plan in each country should allow us to work for a more resilient healthcare system. In Italy, 90% of this amount will be dedicated to health. One question, which kind of uh, amount will be dedicated to invest in prevention? Which part of these resources will be focused on vaccination plan? Number three, which level of engagement of the multi-stakeholder are now guaranteed in the implementation of uh, the recovery plan across Europe. Last but not least, we are in the middle of the conference of the future of Europe, where each one of us was uh, encouraged to identify our priority for the future. Our expectation is that in uh, the conclusion for this conference of the future of Europe, we can imagine more uh, citizens' engagement for uh, the main global threats that we have to face and to better guarantee also know-how, information, empowerment of the society. I want to thank Sarah Serda because it was relevant, the 
the engagement of the European Parliament on this role. I just want to remember that the European Social Committee last February published a document in which has testified that the level of engagement for the recovery plan in 27 countries is extremely low. So this is probably a common field of action to increase the engagement of each stakeholder, for all the stakeholders, for the implementation, to define the priority and then to implement what is stated in the recovery plan. And what is not clear to date, which part of this recovery plan across member states will be dedicated to the prevention and to vaccination plan. And this is crucial to know. Thank you. And in fact, as part of the, uh, if I'm correct, a part of the uh, EU for Health uh, program, 20% of the budget dedicated to that will be actually dedicated to health promotion and disease prevention. I will close the, uh, the, the podcast with all of that. Maybe the last questions is uh, how you see actually the cross-border health threats regulation be better supported by the EU member states and the role of the countries in, in that regard? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because we're now, after voting in plenary, we're now just going for trilogues. How can this better be accepted by member states? And I think it's just looking back and learning from what happened in COVID-19, have lessons learned. And that lesson is that together we are much stronger and prepared to face future health crises because uh, microorganisms do not see country borders, region borders. So we are in this together and we can only do it together. So I am very hopeful for the negotiations. I think we're going to reach a really good compromise and increase the European Union's preparedness and response for future serious cross-border health crises. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you very much, Mariano, for this very insightful discussion. I would also like to thank our listeners for tuning into this Vaccines Europe podcast. Please don't forget to share it uh, with the hashtags questions inspire solutions. Thank you very much.